Welcome to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. It's another beautiful day here in Florida on February 17th. I'm glad you're listening today. Today I'm excited to uh, welcome back to SWAT Radio a uh, uh, person we've had on, no stranger to being on, uh, and no certainly no stranger to being on the air. He is on the air introducing John MacArthur a lot, and he does a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews, and because he... <laughs> He is uh, he is a man who is very well read and who loves the Lord and uh, is very helpful and a lot of theological things. So we got some good questions for him today. Phil Johnson from Grace to You, welcome back to SWAT Radio. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and so how are things out in California? First of all, update us on your church, Grace Community Church, because y'all have been kind of going through some things with the whole COVID shut down and y'all have had you know lawsuits and everything else so what's going on with y'all you guys doing good out there now is it all over is it blown over is it still in the middle of the lawsuits or has that all been resolved no i think all of the lawsuits have been resolved they were resolved last year um i think because the lawyers who represented the church asked for county health officials and so on to be deposed so they were going to have to testify under oath about some of the things that they've made public statements about. And my impression is they didn't want to do that. So they settled the suit, and uh, the local government and state government are now off the church's back. We've been meeting as usual uh, now for nearly a year and a half. Um, And so, yeah, as far as Grace Church is concerned, uh, we're unaffected by the current restrictions. Now, everybody knows that uh, <laughs> they're, COVID still, restrictions they're still in, in place, California. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they are. And in fact, uh, the government's talking about, the California government is talking about tightening things down even. Uh, as the danger from the pandemic recedes, they, they seem to want to hang on to that power. But it, it hasn't affected Grace Church, and I don't expect that it will. I think the stand we took and the victory we won in court was clear enough and definitive enough that uh, the at least the county health officials, who, who were really, I think, the most imminent threat to Grace Church, uh, they they are leaving us alone. Mm. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad for you guys. Hopefully, that will not um, will not come back anytime soon. But you guys are doing a conference out there. Uh, called uh, well the shepherds conference this year the theme is unashamed and it's sold out i I heard already but after the conference or can people get access to it while it's going on can they stream it are they able to stream that they can it 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 will be live streamed it always is and typically sells out before the end of the calendar year and then the conference is always the first week of march uh, and that's the same thing this year. I think attendance uh, is probably going to be a little more jammed than normal because we didn't have a conference last year owing to the COVID crisis. So uh, we're coming back after two years, uh, and and it it filled up a little bit earlier this year. And the theme of the conference is, I think, somewhat motivated by 
the trials the church went through in the COVID crisis, uh, the stance we took, and and the need for courage these days. So this theme, unashamed, really reflects. I think John MacArthur was the one who chose the theme, and it reflects his concern that that it seems like the driving sentiment behind. Most of the problems in the church today, I'm talking about things like doctrinal decline and the infidelity and apostasy and spiritual drift. Uh, the underlying issue in all of those things is a kind of embarrassment about the truth of Scripture, mm. because it's not popular, for example, to believe that homosexuality and transgenderism and the whole LGBTQ agenda is it's not popular to believe that is rooted in a sinful perversion of God's ideal for human procreation. You can't even say that in some contexts without being totally canceled. And it's also not popular to believe that uh, righteous moral standards and holy behavior are are properly defined by scripture rather than by, you know, purely humanistic values. And it's widely considered outmoded and backward to, well, to take the Bible seriously at all. And so people, including many evangelical leaders, have begun to look for the solutions to culture's problems in politics and social justice and the next Supreme Court nominee or whatever, anywhere other than Scripture. Hmm. But it was the Apostle Paul who wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because that's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, both Jew and Greek. And so those two words, not ashamed, that signals a theme, really, that runs through the New Testament, the Apostle Paul's writings, and it touches on subjects like courage and steadfastness and a willingness to suffer and a willingness to confront the wisdom of this world rather than just go along with it. Hmm. So we'll be dealing with themes like that. Well, and you have Pastor James Coates, who was the Canadian pastor, who I think, isn't he a master's uh, grad? Isn't he a master's seminary he is. grad? Yeah. yeah. And That's he, right. he will be sharing, but he wasn't he actually arrested? He was arrested up there. Uh, yeah, he spent weeks in, in prison, and while, while Canadian authorities were releasing rapists and killers, they arrested this pastor and put him in prison for weeks without bail, without visitation, and, and literally put a fence around his church so nobody could get in because they wanted to stop that church from gathering in the midst of the COVID crisis. So he'll be speaking. He's going to be talking, I think, about the courage that's necessary to take a stand like that, even at great personal cost. Not really different from what the Apostle Paul went through. He ended up in prison as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, one of the first questions you asked me was, do I think this whole COVID thing is over? I think the immediate thing is over, but I think there's every sign in what's happening around us that things are about to get really difficult for Bible-believing Christians. Mm. I, I I agree with you, and that was my next question. You're in California. Uh, why? I don't know, but uh, God has you there. <laughs> no, you probably love it out there. I mean, you, you've been out there a long time. John's been out there a long time. It, it, it's a tough place to minister culturally out there, oh, isn't it? I mean, just in, in the, the in the context of what's going on around you. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. And if you listen to the church growth gurus these days, they all talk about contextualization and the, the need to, to uh, adapt to whatever culture you're trying to minister to and all that. We are maybe five miles north of 
Hollywood Boulevard and downtown Hollywood. So we're right in the heart of, you know, the the corrupt entertainment industry. And um, all Grace Church has ever done is open the Bible and teach from it. We haven't we haven't tried to adapt ourselves to Hollywood style or any of those things. And uh, and yet the church has thrived and grown for five decades now. So um, so we sort of, I think, break the mold and, and go against the conventional wisdom on how you should do ministry in a hostile culture, mm-hmm. um, because we do believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We're not ashamed to proclaim it. And when you do proclaim it, people come to Christ. No, they do. And and you guys, in addition to the Shepherds Conference, you're doing Truth Matters. Now, Truth Matters Conference, is that's that's is that put on by Grace to You or, or Grace Community? Yes. It is put on by Grace to You. Yeah. W- w- this will be our third or fourth uh, Truth Matters Conference, and all the previous ones have been at Grace Church. So... It's sponsored and paid for by Grace to You, the media ministry, but uh, hosted by Grace Church until this year. This year we decided, let's have the conference somewhere in the middle of the United States and maybe draw more people. And so we decided to go to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, <laughs> uh, Answers in Genesis. Uh, they have a great auditorium there. It seemed like a great place to have a conference, so we scheduled it there. Mm. That's good, and you got a good lineup there. Owen Strand, who's been on here, Daryl Harrison, uh, uh, Ken Ham, who, of course, uh, it was his vision right there, right to uh, to do right. the whole Ark Encounter. Uh, but again, like the Shepherds Conference, it sold out. Will you be streaming that one as well? Yes, we will. And that one, it's it's unfortunate, but it sold out in less than an hour, less than a half hour, I'm told. Um, we did not anticipate that. We knew there'd be a heavy demand for tickets, but we didn't expect to have to tell people, you know, before before registration even opened for an hour, that it was already booked. Uh, the capacity is about somewhere north of 2,000, between 2,000 and 2,500, and uh, those spots all filled up within the first half hour. Yeah, so well, next time we do a conference, we're going to have to have a bigger venue. Well, uh, so real quick, just in case people forget uh, the actual, like for the shepherdsconference.org, to go to Truth Matters to stream it, they can just go to gty.org for grace2u.org. That's correct. And and, and you'll have a link or something on there, right? Yes, during the conference, we'll have a prominent link right on the front page, gty.org. Yeah, both of those will be great. You know, I, I find it interesting in light of what we're talking about, about the truth matters, unashamed. Um, you talked about drift. You know, can you speak to that a little bit? Because I know you get, or at least you and Dr. MacArthur both get asked a lot about things going on in our culture from a theological perspective. He was always on Larry King Live doing interviews, and I know you all do a lot of different stuff. Have you heard of BioLogos, uh, this uh, podcast, yes. and um, that recently uh, Francis Collins was on there with uh, Tim Keller, which was kind of disappointing to me, kind of the the approach that they took. But it's it's been around for a little while, and um, I know Bruce Waltke has been associated with it from DTS, and he's an old DTS guy. Um, 
And a lot of people have gotten sucked up into that. Do, do, do you know enough about that to comment on that, uh, the whole BioLogos? Yes, a little bit. I, I actually wrote some articles about BioLogos when it was fairly new. I was doing a blog at the time, uh, and that material is still online. My blog was titled Pyromaniacs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a reference to that verse that says the Word of God is like a fire, and we want to just unleash that fire everywhere. So the blog was called pyromaniacs, and uh, I wrote a series of three or four articles about biologos and the approach they were taking to Scripture. While they they claim to be Christians, and there are uh, there were a number of men affiliated with the founding of that organization who are evangelicals, who I, I think do understand the gospel, uh, the, their stated purpose was to move the evangelical movement away from a literal understanding of the opening chapters of Genesis. They mm-hmm. wanted to attack creationism, basically. Mm-hmm. And in the process, early on, they questioned even the historicity of Adam, which, if you do that, you, you directly undermine the Gospel, mm-hmm. because in the New Testament... Uh, the parallel between Adam and Christ is an important one, and it explains how the atonement works. Uh, so I wrote a few articles on that, um, which you can find if you just Google my name, the word pyromaniacs, and biologos. Uh, but I've never been a supporter of that organization. I think what they do is highly damaging, and I'm glad that the the truth about some of the chicanery that goes on with Francis Collins and, and people like that behind the scenes came to light recently. I, I know it undermines the credibility of some men we respect who were collaborating with him, but uh, I think it's better for the truth to come to light. Well, it's, it seems like lately there's been a lot of compromise, whether it's on uh, the, the the creation account or whether it's on LGBTQ issues. And, um, it's, you know, it, there seems to be this drift um and does that really matter you know like with when you're when you're you know people say well they love jesus they love the gospel you know they're just you know they just have a different view of that scripture or they have a different interpretation of that uh yeah that's how drifts drift always starts that way it's it's made to sound innocuous and it's just a slight difference in interpretation, and it's not supposed to be important. But uh, it's really nothing new. And in fact, um, I think a lot of your listeners will have heard about Spurgeon and the downgrade controversy. Mm-hmm. And the the name downgrade refers to a couple of articles that Spurgeon published. He didn't write them. They were written by a man named Robert Schindler, in which Schindler was arguing that if you survey the history of evangelical Christianity, going all the way back to the Reformation, there is a relentless pattern of decline and apostasy that churches struggle very hard to stay faithful for much longer than one or two generations. Sometimes mm-hmm. they apostatize within 50 years. Very few churches remain faithful, and not just churches. We're talking about seminaries, schools, Christian organizations. Very few of them manage to stay faithful to the gospel for a century or longer. Some do, but not many. And so Schindler cha- traced the uh, the pattern of this decline and said it, it's always, he didn't use these words, but this was his point, it's always a leftward drift. They move towards Socinianism in the form of deism and Unitarianism and liberalism and modernism, and all these things are, are the same, the social gospel, and now lately social justice, infusing 
these left-leaning ideas into our belief system, and it always leads to drift. And it's it's been a relentless pattern since the beginning of the the Protestant Reformation, starting with the Socinians. And it's the same cycle over and over and over again. And, and Schindler pointed out that he, he was claiming this is happening now in his day. This was in the late 1800s. And Spurgeon agreed with him, and as a result, the Baptist Union regarded Spurgeon as divisive and more or less drummed him out of their midst. Mm. But history has vindicated Spurgeon, and the modernism he was opposing did decimate all of the major denominations. They went, both both in England and America, all of the mainstream denominations, most of the mainstream denominations went liberal. And uh, that cycle is being repeated in our day. It's nothing new. Uh, it's just that every new generation fails to learn from and avoid the mistakes of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. Is it is it like basically? It's like the Enlightenment uh, period is now kind of being reborn, and our culture is deconstruction. It's the same arguments, right? I mean, isn't it kind of the same thing? It, it, it is. It's slightly different. You have. You had modernism, that's what they called it in Spurgeon's time. Now we live with postmodernism, which is, in a way, a reaction to modernism, but it's just as humanistic and just as the modernists said, the Scripture isn't the standard of truth, science is. Hmm. The postmodernists say, no, science isn't even a reliable standard of truth. You can't really know for sure what's true. So it's a step worse, but it's a step in the same direction. And uh, and it's driven churches away from their commitment to the gospel, their conviction that the gospel is absolutely true. It's one of the things we'll be dealing with at the Shepherds Conference. But, um, yeah, and what you're seeing today even is a recycling of things that were happening 15 years ago with the emerging church movement. you remember that? Oh, yeah. Well, Alexander, and, Alexander McLaren and uh, even Rob Bell, that's... That kind of stuff, you know, I haven't heard much from them. I know they're out there, but were they the original kind of pioneers of the emergent church here? Yeah, Rob Bell was one, and uh, there, there were there was an array of them. And the problem uh, with their movement was they didn't all agree with each other. So the movement fragmented and died within within a decade, really. By I started writing about the emerging church in the early part of the new millennium. By 2010 or 2011, the movement was effectively dead. And I said at the time, though the movement couldn't hold together because there there was no structured leadership and they didn't agree, all the ideas that they infused into evangelical circles mm. are like so many dandelion seeds, and they're going to bear you know, evil fruit in the days to come. I think we're seeing that now with so much emphasis on social justice uh, defined in an almost Marxist way with the redistribution of wealth and and other ideas that simply aren't biblical. It's not biblical justice. Hmm. Uh, And yet, uh, I would say a large segment, maybe even a majority of evangelicals, think that's a good thing. And they're going to continue that drift that undermines the the authority of Scripture and the confidence and conviction of Christians that the Bible is true. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I see, you know, or have heard, you know, people who are deconstructing, quote, from what they were taught growing up. You see a growing movement of people, younger people, leaving the church. 
And, I, you know, yeah. there, there's a whole variety of things that I think contributed to that. What do you see out there? What do you and the ministry you're a part of there, what do you all see as the greatest contributing factor? Is it the fact that the gospel is just simply not being relied upon and preached effectively? Or is it just... Yes. Hmm. It, I mean, that's that's that that you could say it that way. I think even underlying that, in the reason the Bible, the, the gospel isn't being proclaimed boldly and faithfully, is that people are ashamed of it, uh, because it's out of sync with the wisdom of this world. And I think the Church, by and large, has forgotten that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, and that God chose the foolish things of this world to, to confound the wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Paul's very clear about that in 1 Corinthians. The wisdom of this world is foolishness, and yet in, in evangelical academic circles, in evangelical leadership, there's this desperate craving to get academic acceptance, academic approval from the secular world and from, um, you know, actually even the popular culture. People, that's why churches watch what goes on in culture and imitate it. You know, the best example of that, I think, is all the ubiquitous Christian t-shirts that borrow logos from secular companies and and put a spin on them so that they think that's a testimony for Christ to make it Christianized. But what they're actually doing is catering to the world's tastes mm-hmm. rather than confronting the world's errors. And it's a bad strategy, and it's bad for the Church, and it's bad for the world. Well, it, isn't that what even Bruce Waltke said Like uh, when, uh, on, uh, I think they quoted him, he, he, uh, this guy who was a DTS professor for you, they don't know him, uh, said something about if we don't reject uh, the creation theory or we don't embrace evolution, I can't remember which, we're going to be embarrassed ultimately because we're going to be proven wrong or something, like the Bible will be discredited. And I, I may be paraphrasing yep. that somewhat, but it was something like that, right? I mean, like, and that, that's the whole thing. It's almost an embarrassment that it could it, be the way that it is exactly. <laughs> that is exactly the thing. Same, the thing, and it's happening in the moral realm as well as the secular world ha- has, you know, fully and clearly embraced uh, sexual deviancy, homosexuality, transgenderism, and a host of other kinds of perversions uh, as you know legitimate alternative lifestyles. And you're supposed to agree with that and affirm it. And if you don't, you will be canceled. And so, lots of Christians are embarrassed by that. And you already have churches who are trying to accommodate that by either not saying anything about what the Bible says about sexual purity and immoral, certain kinds of immorality, or by actually changing their teaching so that they become gay-affirming. Mm. Uh, and there's a host of churches now who would say they are both evangelical and gay-affirming, as if you could be both of those things. Well, I know, and there's a lot of people, and you see it on social media, uh, who are in a homosexual lifestyle who talk about God bringing their partner into their life, and they talk about God uh, almost like he's okay with everything that's going on. And I, I, I think that's because churches somewhere along the line have affirmed that form. I mean, how else? Right. Throughout history, that wouldn't have been happening with the church, right? I mean, I, do you know of any other cultures in the history, because you're a history guy, that that – 
where the churches, unless they were aberration churches, I'm not talking about mainstream churches, would have affirmed those things because they were clearly... No, not not on that issue. And the troubling thing about that is, if you read Romans 1, the, the example Paul gives about the decline that comes with immorality, the, the further you descend into a, a hardened heart that's committed to sin, uh, what it leads to, he says, is homosexuality. He gives that example, and he says even their women exchange the use of the body, the natural use of the body, for that which is unnatural. So he sees lesbianism as as somehow proof that it's gone about as far as it can go, and that's where our culture is. So uh, it's a it's a frightening thing, and but m- more disturbing than secular culture itself to me is the the compliance you find among evangelicals who just don't want to confront that issue. And now, it's it's literally illegal in Canada to speak out against that in the church. You could be put in prison for saying that homosexuality is a deviant lifestyle, and if you're if you're practicing homosexuality, you need to repent. In Canada, that's a federal crime now. Well, uh, and and over in, in Finland, that, you know, in Finland, that lady is being on trial over there for posting a Twitter uh, shot of her Bible, you know? Uh, did yeah. You, and, yeah. And, and so it's not just Canada. The, I mean, but these are countries that you would think would be okay with it, you know? No, I know. And, and it, it is coming here already, uh, Doug. We could not have this conversation that we're having right now on the radio in either Canada or England. Uh, we'd be fined. Wow. That's that's just crazy. Well, um, you know, I, I, I got some more questions for you. We, we've got to go to our break here in just a second. But I want to let people know about a couple of your websites. Is, is Romans45.org still a good clearinghouse for your websites, for all of them, Pyromania? Yeah, that's my, that's right. That's my personal website, and there are links there to the original Spurgeon Archive and all, a bunch of other websites that I created. Most of them are pretty dormant. I don't update them much anymore, but there's a lot of information there that's very helpful. Yeah, so if Pyromaniacs me, is there. That's the good one he was talking about earlier. A lot of good right. blog stuff. And uh, Grace to You is gty.org. We're going to talk about that more when we come back from the break. You're listening to uh, Phil Johnson from Grace to You. He's the executive director. And when we come back, I have a qu- couple of questions for him about Grace to You. And uh, hopefully, uh, you, you can uh, help them by going to gty.org and support what they do because it is a great organization, a great website. It is the media ministry of John MacArthur. And um, it's just got a lot of good resources on there. I'll tell you more when we come back. There is good news for the captive. Good news for the shame. There is good news for... Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. So glad you're listening. If you're just tuning in, SWAT stands for Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. And uh, we're so grateful to our listeners up in Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Virginia, Portsmouth, Virginia area, Meridian, Mississippi, Folkestone, Georgia, 
Jacksonville, Florida, and St. Augustine, Florida. So glad that you're listening today. We got Phil Johnson from Grace to You, which is just a, a fantastic uh, organization. They've got a great website that has lots of resources. And when they offer these resources, you can go on there, you can listen to sermons, you can listen to podcasts. They put all this stuff out there, and it's donor-based. This stuff that they put out and, and give you access to, um, whether it's their Truth Matters podcast, television, uh, radio sermons from the past. I think, uh, I know Dr. MacArthur has preached through every verse of the New Testament that they have on there, and a lot of the old. And, um, and, and Phil, you all have just done a really great job. In fact, I, I heard earlier that uh, Dr. MacArthur's preaching is the most listened to preaching down in South America. And someone asked me a question, is is it him preaching that they're listening to, or is it a translator that, that is the most popular preaching voice down in South America? It is a translator. It's Luis Contreras. Uh, he's on our staff here. He translates and re-preaches John's sermons in Spanish. And um, uh, we've been on Spanish radio for oh, probably 25 years, uh, and there are as many outlets that broadcast Grace to You in Spanish as there are in English. And so we cover nearly all of the Spanish-speaking world. Um, it's really remarkable the amount of response we get from Spanish-speaking people, mostly in Central and South America, but also in Spain and other places in the world where Spanish is spoken. Do you guys ever get people that come up for the Shepherds Conference from there? Yes, in fact, uh, lots of lots of Spanish-speaking pastors do come to the Shepherds Conference. There's also a conference later in the year that's in Spanish for Spanish-speaking pastors. It's a it's a mirror of the English uh, pastors' conference. It's not it's maybe not quite as large, but uh, it, lately it has been. Lately, they've been drawing two or three thousand pastors. So, that's great. That's uh, just great. Yeah. Well. Um... You know, I, I, uh, you, hi, hi, uh, how many kids do you have, Phil? Just personally, I had, I had three sons. They're all grown now. I have seven grandchildren. Seven grandchildren, and uh, how long have you been at Grace to You? Four decades. I came in 1983, so next year I will celebrate my uh, 40th anniversary here. Wow, 40, 40 years at Grace to You with the privilege of being with John MacArthur. And I heard you say one time that, uh, like me, <laughs> before he was ever on radio, you listened to tapes just like I did, right? We listened to those tapes. Yes, before. that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny story how I first heard him. I was working at Moody Press at Moody, and he came to speak as uh, to the student chapel. They have a week there every year that they call Spiritual Emphasis Week, where they bring in one speaker and he speaks every day that week. And because it's a special speaker and special student chapels, they let employees attend. And uh, so they sent around a flyer, and I had never heard of him. I read the flyer. It says, John MacArthur, Jr. He's a fifth-generation pastor from California, and, and on Monday he was speaking on God's will for your life. And the guy I shared an office with asked me, was I going to go? And I said, no, I don't I don't have time to go. Here, some guy whose claim to fame is he's somebody's son. <laughs> Somebody should tell Junior that uh, everybody who speaks at Moody Bible Institute talks about God's will for your life. And so my office mate said, okay, well, I'm going down there. And he left, and about 30 seconds later, 
this girl who I was dating, who is now my wife, <laughs> stuck her head in the door, and she said, I'm going down to Student Chapel. Were you going to go? And I said, yeah, I was just coming. <sighs> and so <laughs> that's how I, I always joke with John. That's how I heard him the first time. If Darlene hadn't you know, talked me into going, she didn't have to talk very hard. But if it wasn't the opportunity to sit with her for an hour, yeah. I never would have heard him preach. But from the moment he opened his mouth, I mean, he had hardly read the Scripture and made three comments on it, I thought, wow, I've never heard anybody preach like this. And uh, by the time he finished, I was thinking, he needs to be putting his material in books. And um, so through a a totally unrelated series of events, about three or four years later, uh, after Gracie had started on the radio, I used to listen every day on the radio. I subscribed to all the tapes, listened to as much of John as I could, and every time I heard him, I thought, he's be doing books. And he was looking for an editor, and uh, it was Jerry Jenkins who who wrote, uh, you know, the Left, Left Behind, Behind series. Uh-huh. He, t- he told John about me and uh, paired us up, and, and uh, I've been here for the past 40 years. You, I bet you never so dreamed a, that, a, huh? You never dreamed it. Well, it was... I didn't. I did never imagined it would happen, but it was a dream of mine every time I heard John to think I would love to help him edit his material, and so I ended up doing just that, and uh, it's been great. I would love really to just have an hour in his study with him talking about, about theology yeah. and stuff. You know? Yeah. No, I know. I know, and I'm. I know I'm privileged to do that. Just yesterday, we had a recording session where we spent an hour just talking about the doctrine of divine providence. Wow, uh, and that's going to be a special CD that we will send free of charge to everyone on our mailing list who wants a copy uh, in a couple of months. But it was great, just to you know, it was totally unscripted. I could just ask him what I want to hear him talk about, questions I have that I want answered, and and we just talk. And those are those are great conversations. Well, you know, Phil, I know you are pretty savvy because you you do a blog. You were doing a blog back when nobody was really doing a blog. I mean, you were like early on doing blogs and uh, you're kind of savvy with what goes on out in the world. You have to be because you run a media ministry there of grace to you. So you're kind of keeping up and I'm sure you see negative feedback and stuff because I see it about John's teaching ministry. And, you know, one of the big things is on his book, The Gospel According to Jesus. And I think, you know, I've actually heard a lot of people mischaracterize things he says because John doesn't believe anybody earns their way to heaven. He doesn't believe anybody earns their way uh, as far as their growth or their sanctification. And um, Yeah, that's right. And I think he I think he's clear about that. And not only in the gospel according to Jesus, but he wrote a sequel uh, because he wanted to answer those people who were mischaracterizing what he was saying. So there's a sequel that was originally titled Faith Works. It's been republished as The Gospel According to the Apostles. Uh, but both of those books, I think, are crystal clear that you cannot earn salvation. You can't, through your works, gain the right to uh, to be justified, but we are justified by faith alone. But, uh, you know, John believes what Martin Luther said and all the reformers that the faith, the faith that saves, it's faith alone that saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. Mm. It results in fruit, uh, good works, and and that means that if if you're not following Christ, if you don't love Christ, if if you, there 
there isn't a desire for righteousness in your life that produces some good fruit, uh, then you have no basis to to be confident that you are saved. You you have sin to repent of, and and if you have unrepentant sin, then you're not really a believer. I mean, willfully unrepentant. Yeah, if you have patterns. Yeah, us, if you've got patterns of unrepentant yeah. sin. No, I mean that's that's denying the Holy Spirit's work in your life. If you just have patterns right. of that, so um, right. Uh, you know, I was uh, teaching this week in my Bible studies here on uh, Acts 13, and I was struck by, in Paul's first recorded sermon, when he uses the phrase, this salvation. He was talking about a specific salvation because the Jewish people had their own view of salvation and what the Messiah would bring. And until I read John's book in the Marine Corps, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, I, I didn't really understand that Jesus is coming to save us from ourselves more than anything. Our leadership, yeah, you know, and that, that, that book helped me understand that. That book was at the heart of my uh, original relationship with John. The first time I ever met him, when Jerry Jenkins got us together for an editorial meeting, uh, I, one of the first things I said to him was, you need to write a book on the lordship issue. And his answer was, I intend to, I even have a title in mind, The Gospel According to Jesus. <laughs> and... Uh, he 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 liked me right away, I think, because I had an interest in that topic. I'd been a youth pastor, and I had dealt with so many kids who believed they were Christians because at some time before they could even remember, they sat on Mommy's lap and, and said a prayer and invited Jesus into their heart, mm-hmm. and they believed that that was the hope of their salvation. They weren't any different from the other kids in their school. They had no particular interest in Christ or love for Him, but they believed they were on their way to heaven because they had prayed this formula prayer. Mm-hmm. And I kept confronting that. And uh, uh, so I, I was listening to John on the radio at the time, and I said, what he's saying is what needs to be said. It needs to be a book. And so that was one of the first projects I worked with him on. And um, it was published by Zondervan. Zondervan originally said, this is an important book, and we believe it's going to sell really well for a theological book. We're going to print 20,000 copies, which sounded huge to me. When I was at Moody Press, it was like, you know, anything that sold 3,000 was a successful book. So 20,000 for a theological book uh, seemed large, but those 20,000 sold out within two months, and Zondervan had to go back to print on it. Uh, it's been continually in print ever since then. The latest figures I heard is it's it's sold about three quarters of a million copies, mm. which is which makes it one of the probably two or three best selling theological books of the past century. Well, it, it certainly impacted my life. And you know, the thing that always cracked me up was you would hear these testimonies where people would say, "Well, you know, I trusted Jesus as my Savior when I was eight, but I didn't make Him Lord till I was 40. <laughs> and I mean, you're yeah. like for 32 years, you 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 walked in disobedience. Is that what you're saying uh, to him with no you know no ramifications? Because we made it about that formula you talked about. We made it uh, uh, just a verbal assent to it, and and he really made it clear in that. And I thank you for helping uh, get that into print because my life was certainly impacted by it. So. Um, uh, I, I can't recommend it enough. In fact, I still give it out to people, <laughs> people who are struggling to understand. I, I just give it to them uh, because it is it is a great book about uh, what it means to really trust and follow Jesus 
Um, so I got a question for you in light of that, knowing you've been doing this for 40 years with him. Um, uh, how has the emphasis in your preaching ministry changed over the last 40 years? Well, the fact that I'm preaching at all is a big one. I was at Grace Church for 11 years before I ever preached. I, I was teaching a home Bible study in a living room, uh, and ha- so I had an interest in teaching, but I never really had that sort of craving to preach until a friend uh, sort of goaded me into into speaking a few times and uh, realized I could do it and do it effectively, and so... Uh, uh, it's been it's been a surprising joy to know that I can actually stand up and preach and people respond and uh, so yeah my former pastor before I came to Grace Church the previous pastor that I had was Warren Wiersbe oh my goodness and he was also an expositor <laughs> preaching and, uh, and teaching so with imagination I, I love that book that's a great book yeah too. so so I've had the privilege of being under two pastors who. There are different kinds of expositors, but they both believe that, you know, the proper role of a pastor is to open the Scriptures and teach from it. Mm-hmm. And I learned that from both of them. From Wearsby, I learned how to outline a text, and from John MacArthur, I learned how to preach it. Mm, that's good. Well, if you if you could go back to your twenty mid-20-year-old self and share one truth about the Gospel— that you understand better now that you didn't understand then, what would it be? I would say don't ever think you're going to outgrow your sins and temptations. You better mortify them now, because you don't outgrow those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it surprises me, I'm, I'll turn 69 this year, that I still struggle with some of the same, you know, habitual or uh, just sort of persistent temptations and sins that uh, that I struggled with in my 20s even. Mm. So you, you understand what and, Paul wrote in, in Romans 7, you think? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, when you read that, you almost sometimes think of that's just early on in Paul's life, but you're one of a few people that have shared that with me, that no, you still struggle with those same things. They, they're just battles of the flesh, really probably till we get to the other side, right? Um, yeah, and it, it doesn't get any easier, so you better get to work mortifying your sin when you're young. Don't don't expect to outgrow it. Yeah. Well, uh, I do have a I, I got a question for you that uh, I was asked that since you've been around John for so long, I'd like to hear your take on it. I, I, I kind of know what I, I'm, I'm going to respond to this person, but um, this guy asked, do you see a distinction between Israel as a nation separate from the church or is the church in the New Covenant era a continuation of what corporate Israel is in the Old Covenant? That's probably above my pay grade. <laughs> I'm not really an expert when it comes to eschatology. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think there—here's my view. There is one people of God, and national Israel was an interesting kind of entity because it included saved people and unsaved people, redeemed people and unredeemed believers and non-believers and that was the distinctive of the old covenant mm-hmm. it you you could be in the in the old covenant not a believer and the distinctive of the new covenant according to even the old testament is that they don't we don't need somebody to say know the lord because we all know him mm-hmm. uh, uh, so i think under the new covenant everyone who's in the covenant is a believer mm-hmm. uh and 
and yet I think in eternity there's one people of God, and it will incorporate both the Church and Israel. That's my personal view. Like I said, I'm not an expert in eschatology. It's not something I've spent a great deal of time. Well, I know. I, I don't labor. either, and that's why I was hoping to lean on you. Cause I, I, you know, but I, I do. I will say, from based on you know Romans 11, that God is not through with national Israel. I believe a time is coming when all Israel will be converted. So if the question is, will they be then national Israel separate from the Church or in the Church, I believe they'll one people of God, and that is the Church. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. Uh, but I, I, I agree with you about Romans 11, too. It's in the Bible, right? I mean, and so Paul wrote it, and it does deal with national Israel as well. Uh, I, I just think it... I think sometimes it gets confusing when you try to start getting into eschatological stuff because we just don't know. I mean, a lot of it, there's a lot of symbolism there and there's a lot of things uh, that we don't know. Uh, but that's why we focus on the gospel. And that's one reason I, I, you know, John's written at least, I think, four books, three, maybe four. He wrote the gospel according to Jesus. He wrote the gospel according to the apostles. He wrote the gospel according to Paul. And he wrote the gospel according to God, right? Didn't he write in that the last? That's right. Yeah. yeah so. Yep. That's right. <laughs> and they all are about the gospel, uh, the good news. Yeah. And that's really what his focus has been. If you listen to him preach, and no matter where he's preaching, that's what the focus is, because that's the focus of the right. Bible. So that's true of most of his books too. Uh, my other favorite John MacArthur book is called "Ashamed of the Gospel," mm. and it. Uh, blends uh, a critique of what's going on in the church today with the record of what Spurgeon went through in the downgrade. Uh, but it's all about the gospel, and, and then you've got the truth war. That's the the battle for the truth of the gospel. So many uh, of John's books focus like a laser on the topic of the gospel and getting the importance of getting the gospel right and proclaiming it. Mm-hmm. Well, he, I, I, one of my favorite books has got an old cover, and I don't know if, I think it was just a compilation of his sermons called Truth Matters. Maybe, maybe that's yeah. where you got your conference title from, but it's, that it's, is. It's, it's, it's really a great compilation of different things because he's all about the truth, and he says that. You know, he wants to unleash God's truth one verse at a time, and really, you know, that was kind of, uh, impetus behind even SWAT being spiritual warriors advancing truth. We want to preach God's truth. And, you know, when you think about God's truth, we live in a very compromising time, like we were talking about earlier. Do you, you know, do you believe that, that the, the line has shifted uh, where we separate with people now on issues because everything's so gray <laughs> I know that's a funny question. Do you understand what I'm asking? Because um... no, no, I do, I do. I and and I think you know the 20th century was a sort of object lesson in the dangers of hyper separatism, mm -hmm. but the necessity of separatism as well. So you had two groups that went to opposite extremes, and it was bad for both groups. There were the fundamentalists who fell in love with the idea of separation, and when they ran out of people to separate from, they started fighting one another. <laughs> and the fundamentalist movement, as it existed when I became a Christian in the 1970s, fundamentalist movement was large and vigorous. It barely exists today. Mm. Um, and then there was the neo-evangelicals, they called themselves, evangelicals who 
who craved academic acceptance, and they were determined not to fight with anyone, not to separate from anyone. They wanted to dialogue with uh, liberals rather than, you know, expose their errors and preach against them. And, and of course, that led them down a path of, uh, you know, apostasy, I would say. Uh, you remember the battle for the Bible and all that, Fuller Seminary's departure from evangelical truth. That's what that reflected. And I think both groups um, actually fell in love with their worst tendencies. With the fundamentalists, it was a a kind of pugnaciousness, a desire to fight, a love for the for the war. Mm-hmm. And with the um, neo-evangelicals, it was a craving for worldly acceptance and academic acceptance. And, and both groups failed because of it. And I, I think we need to get to a point where there, there, where we understand there is a need sometimes to separate from people who walk disobediently. Scripture commands us to do that. Mm-hmm. And when people come with a false gospel, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, and the Apostle John says in his second epistle, don't have anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. So Scripture orders us to separate from people who are, who are uh, fatally twisting gospel truth. Uh, but on the other hand, the church, the believing church, is supposed to seek unity and like-mindedness, and those are not competing goals. Sometimes it seems like they're in conflict with one another, but they're not. They're actually the same thing. It's a pursuit for the truth. It's a, a love for truth and, and a consequential hatred for error. Uh, and it is hard to keep the balance. You know, who do you fight and who do you try to influence? Um, but I don't think it's as hard as evangelicals have made it over the past century or so. Yeah, but wouldn't you say, I mean, there's a difference uh, between you and me disagreeing over modes of baptism, because we both believe in baptism, versus disagreeing over something that's clearly stated in Scripture as being against God's design, like homosexuality, you know? Yeah, no, I do agree. And, and in fact, that's why I would say there's a, there's a necessity to, um, to have a clear taxonomy of, of what's a primary doctrine, what's essential to the gospel, and what are secondary truths. And it, it's not—you can't make a clear division between just two kinds. There's certain truths that have relative importance, and I would say— creationism is one of those, Uh because once you throw out the authority of the early chapters of Genesis, at what point in your reading of the Bible does the truth kick in where you believe it rather than explaining it away? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's an important issue, but I I wouldn't say it's as important as, say, the the doctrine of substitutionary atonement or justification by faith, because those things go right to the heart of the gospel immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, but uh, again, like when people add to the gospel, we know that that's a big deal. But even if people are advocating something that you know is clearly against Scripture, again, I go back to the LGBTQ issues. Like there's one pastor who says, it's impossible to conclusively say the Bible condemns same-sex romance, right? So he yeah. says that, yeah. and the same guy says, if you don't wear a mask, then you're basically not loving your neighbor like Jesus says to love your neighbor. The same guy. 
So he's saying this is nuanced over here, but but it's not here. And and so I think some of those issues, like some of them we treat like meat, right? You can eat the meat if you feel good about it and some others. But if it's clearly stated in Scripture, to me, those are those are primary issues you got to deal with. And I just wondered what – because I know, John, and you have to deal with that as elders. What do you do if you have an elder out there that says, you know what, I, I can't buy into creation? I can't buy into it. Yeah. yeah. Here's my approach. You proclaim the truth and take a firm stand and refuse to compromise on it, and the people who are in love with error separate from you. <laughs> well, that's true. So <laughs> that's, that, so, that, that's a really good uh, I mean, word. I think if we're clear enough, if, if we're clear enough, a lot of the issues about whether we separate or fellowship with somebody sort of get solved by their decision. I mean, there's a reason that some of the large evangelical uh, organizations – don't affirm or include John MacArthur as a speaker at any of their conferences. <laughs> yeah, they can't true. tolerate the the unvarnished declaration of this is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so that's my approach. You, you you just be firm where Scripture is clear, mm-hmm. and the people who want to nuance it will separate themselves from you. And the, and those who don't, you you may have to draw a line and excommunicate them or separate from them. Mm. But well, well. Usually, uh, it takes care of itself if you're firm enough. Well, that is a great, great way to end our segment today. It, it is uh, so good to have you. Thank you for sharing. I just, I love your ministry. Uh, there's a lot of people here that benefit from it. You're broadcast on this radio station, so thank you from uh, all the listeners here in Jacksonville. Uh, if you want to support Grace to You, go to gty.org and go to donate and just. Uh, donate it is a great ministry doing a lot of good work they got the shepherds conference coming up the truth matters conference out there Uh, just go ahead and go to gty.org for more phil's personal stuff you can go to romans45.org that's r-o-m-a-n-s 45.org pray for phil pray for dr macarthur and what they're doing in their ministry phil thank you so much for joining us today i hope you have a blessed rest of your day brother thank you good to talk to you all right Hey, you've been listening to SWAT Radio. If you want to hear this or any other prior broadcast, you can go to www.swatradio.com. That's www.swatradio.com. Tomorrow, Taylor and I will be back. We'll be talking about this as well as everything else we've covered this week on SWAT Radio. If you missed a SWAT Radio broadcast this week and would like to hear any show in its entirety, then go to SWATradio.com. Click on Past Shows, where you can listen to the broadcast. Also, if you're looking for a band of brothers that gather around God's Word to be a part of, then go to SWATradio.com and email one of our hosts, and they can get you plugged in to one of the local SWAT Bible studies. Tune in next time to explore how SWAT Radio is strengthening...